You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Happy Monday, Canada, coast to coast to coast. How's everybody doing on an August 22nd? Getting closer to September. School's starting. In fact, my eldest is going... I'll be off tomorrow because she's moving to Montreal back for her second year at McGill. And she's moving into an apartment with four girls, young women. Her first apartment, so we're getting her ready, my wife and I. It's kind of fun, kind of nerve-wracking. Later in the program, we were all reminiscing about your first roommate, your first apartment, how bad it was, and your first roommate, the roomies from hell, and, and I want to hear from you about your first terrible apartment, what you did, and those crazy roommates. Those, And then, of course, my son's going to go off. He's living in residence at the same university. We haven't heard. He, he's still on his whitewater canoe trip in the Arctic, so we haven't heard from him in about 50 days. Uh, just pings on a map. I can't. I'm actually up at night, as usual, not sleeping because, you know, I never sleep. This is now worse because I just I'm dying to hear from the guy and, and his group. So I'm really not sleeping. Like I think, you know, I'm sleeping like three hours a night if I can. And I just hate the nights right now. I got to figure out this sleep out. In fact, I actually called the doctor for the first time in my life last week to get a sleep clinic. But they're like, OK, can you do it for like five hours? We do it for six weeks between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. I'm like, no, I'm on radio. Well, what about at night? I'm like, no, I, I got power play, so that's it. So, I'm, so I can't do that. I don't know why they do sleep clinics in the middle of the day. But anyway, that's, that's what it is. So we'll talk about the roomie situation. Because lots of people are getting ready to go to school. That's back to school. You're feeling that pinch of cold coming in the air in the mornings. And uh, that's going to be fun. Times of transition. So we'll talk about that today. But over the weekend, I don't know about you, but times, uh, you know, when, when things are happening, there's some kinds times of change. You, you start sort of rooting around in your mind about times of transition. And I was thinking about um, my brother and my sister. Both of them celebrated their anniversaries, their wedding anniversaries in the summer. Happy anniversary to both of them. My brother's actually been with his wife, not married to his wife, but I think they've been with each other for more than 30, 33 years. They met when they were young, and they're still together, and it's an amazing relationship. My, my sister, I think, 16 years. So it's pretty cool. So we're thinking about that, and I remember the first anniversary my wife and I had, we decided we're, we were really into scuba diving. It's hard to be into it now because of the kids, but... Um, and we still do it if we can. But we went, we used to do a lot of scuba diving together. And we decided on our first anniversary to go shark diving, to spend a week shark diving in the Caribbean, specifically around sharks. I was very into sharks. I like sharks. Um, I was, I've always wanted to do some shark diving. And so we decided to do some shark diving. And we did, and it was phenomenal. Uh, actually, the first time we went down before our first shark dive, we were like 90 feet down. We were doing on a shipwreck. And my wife looks at me and I get a lot of bloody noses and my mask is filling up with blood 90 feet down in like a shipwreck. And she points to my mask 
And then we have to surface, but you have to surface very slowly. You have to stop because of, um, you don't want to get the bends. And I was holding it and these, now they were just reef sharks, but they're about nine foot reef sharks were circling these big circles around us while my mask was filling up with blood. So it was kind of a fun day. We got some underwater pictures of that. The next day we were supposed to do our big shark dive, which we did. My nose did not bleed, but it was great. And why am I telling you the story about sharks? Because I do like sharks. Because if you know anything about sharks, you know about the remora. Now, you know, the remora is that fish that suctions onto the bottom of many sharks. You often see them. And they can be, you know, a foot long or three feet long. And basically, they um, sit on the belly of a shark. And um, they attach themselves as a kind of feeder species. They're like a parasite. And they eat the parasites on the shark's skin. And they... They just sort of, they, they just feed on the shark as opportunists. And the shark does shark things. Well, you know, the remora um, has this kind of symbiotic relationship. Now, the reason I'm thinking about it is, of course, because for me, like I'm thinking about politics, is the story broke over the weekend that the conservative candidate, Pierre Polyev, who likely will win, we don't know, but September 10th, you know, he's just uh, a few weeks away from finding out if he wins, and he's widely seen as the guy who will become the new conservative leader. He has massive rallies all across the country. That he shook hands with a guy named Jeremy McKenzie, who is very, who is a veteran of the Canadian forces, but now is a very well-known far-right um, podcaster and influencer and the founder of an extremist group called Diagalon, which has a black flag with a white stripe through it because they want a kind of white society. They're known in right wing. The RCMP would call it a militia style accelerationist group. An accelerationist group is accelerating uh, the change um, uh, to collapse society so they can rebuild it basically as a white society. That's what they want. And then, in fact, Press Progress and credit to them actually obtained um, through uh, access to information um, documents, right? Documents from the Integrated Terrorism Assessment Center in Canada that explicitly called Jeremy McKenzie one of the key individuals associated with the ideologically motivated violent extremist groups, the IMVEs, right? And these are, and I'm going to read you what they said. They were present during, of course, the trucker convoy. Quote, and, and again, credit to Press Progress for, for, for first publishing this stuff. Violent extremists who support or attending the protests include a range, a range of ideologically motivated violent extremist groups and adherents, including white nationalists, accelerationists, separationists, radical libertarians, conspiracy theorists, and others who justify violence to achieve ideological uh, uh, objectives. And Canadian accelerationist influencer Jeremy McKenzie and others is indicative of a much larger attendance at convoy protests by these adherents over recent weeks. So literally the police and the government officials are putting this guy on a watch list. And then McKenzie goes to an event in Dartmouth and shakes Pierre Polyev's hand. Now, of course, there are questions. Does Pierre Polyev, should he have known Jeremy McKenzie? Now, I would know him. He's very well known. He, the guy, 
Mr. Top, another veteran who walked across Canada, who was on this program for about 25 minutes, who I've spoken to. You know him. He's a regular. Top is a regular on McKenzie's podcast. McKenzie uh, then tweeted that he met Polyev and said he knew that this was going to happen and he was laughing about it and he loved the attention that he's getting. But the question is, and then, of course, Pierre Polyever said a statement, I shake hands with lots of people, and how should I know who this guy is? My campaign events are public, he wrote. There's no registration. Anyone can walk in. I've shaken hands with literally thousands of people at public rallies. It's impossible to do a background check on every single person who attend my events. As always, I denounce racism and anyone who spreads it, he said. No, or recognize, and I don't know or recognize this particular individual. Fair enough. Maybe he doesn't. But now there's calls on him to, to openly, by Jean Charest and by others, disavow Jeremy McKenzie. And he hasn't done it. And he hasn't done it. And the reason I say this, and we'll get to the Pierre Polyev situation. I'm not here to determine whether Mr. Polyev knew this guy or not. I won't know. He says he didn't. Fine. But we should know this guy, too, because McKenzie is a remora on the shark of mainstream politicians. And politicians have to cut these remora loose. They are using political suction cups as parasites to try to travel and benefit from the shark at the expense of the ocean. And you and I are the ocean. So what I'm going to do is take a break. I'm going to get your calls when we come back. Should figures like McKenzie be openly disavowed by politicians? That's next. As this story changes, we react. This is The Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back to the program. When I mentioned that I don't sleep at night and I'm having particularly cruddy sleeps. I don't know why. One night I did have a bad sleep because I did get, I, I, got, I finally got my fourth dose of the Vax. And I think that was kind of. It was okay. I didn't feel great. But someone just texted me some sleep advice. A guy named Perry. Thanks, Perry. Appreciate that. I'll check that out. Uh, But I've been asking you about what I call the remora. These are far-right groups who want to undermine society. They peddle conspiracy theories. They are ripping down the, ripping up the, the, the hard one foundations of our democracy. We need a democracy where we debate. We have a right, middle, left. Good. But we don't need to spread conspiracy theories. We shouldn't be giving platforms to people who want to violently overthrow the government or are racists or are peddling conspiracy theories that are non-scientific, that are dangerous. And, I don't got, and look, I respect any man and woman, man or woman who has served our country. And any vet. But Jeremy McKenzie has weapons charges against him. Look, I'm going to bring on Justin Ling to go over who this guy is. I'll dig into it. He's got 12 firearms charges in Picton, in Picto, uh, Nova Scotia. 
Like this guy has a bad record, and Diagonal's a bad group. Now, I know he purposely went and shook hands with Pierre Polyev so he could get the meme, and he's getting what he wants because uh, Pierre Polyev's a shark. He cuts it. He's an apex political predator like all federal politicians are. You're running to be a leader. You're a, you're a shark. Charest's a shark. Polyev's a shark. Trudeau's a shark. These are the, these are the, so of course people want to attach themselves to them or get near them so they can, like the, the Remora, act as parasites on them so they can be in their slipstream. And I get it. But it means that politicians have to disavow these folks. Not disavow generally. I disavow racism. I disavow. They got to specifically. So if Pierre Polyeva did not know who Jeremy McKenzie was, fine. I'm not going to pretend I know what he knows. Some people said, of course he knows. His, his, he should have known. He must have known. He's been involved in supporting groups that McKenzie's been very vocal a part of, and this guy's well-known, we all know him, he's like, come on, you should, or maybe he didn't. I have no idea. I don't speculate. I have no factual proof to say that Mr. Polyev knew him or not. Who knows? I don't know. But should he be disavowed now that he knows that McKenzie has admitted to using him? McKenzie said, I knew it. He's laughing at it. I knew I'd get attention. He's elevating his call. Dylan, what's up? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of this is coming from uh, Pierre's opponents who are basically trying to back him into a corner, into uh, disavowing Jeremy, so that ultimately he looks bad to his base. That's, I think but is Jeremy, of- is, but, well, let me ask you that. Okay, that's a really interesting point, and I want to I unpack it. Why would disavowing Jeremy McKenzie who is an open supporter of Diagalon, like one of the founders, why would that, wouldn't the base be happy that Pierre Polyev would have nothing to do with a guy like this? Uh, no, I, I don't. And I mean, uh, again, Jeremy's uh, associated with the, with the Freedom Convoy. And I mean, it's, he sounds like a good guy to me. I don't, uh, I don't know that much about him. But I mean, I, I mean, Evan, like when you say, oh, he's, he's a, Diagalon is a violent extremist group. What evidence do you have of that? You know what I mean? Like, what do you think? Like, well, well, let me. Well, 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 first of all, I just read you. But that's I, just speculation on their part. They've never committed any acts of violence. Just because the guy has some well, he, guns and is concerned about the future of the country doesn't make him some kind of an extremist. And people shouldn't fall for that rhetoric, and neither should Pierre Pauly ever. Okay, but hold, hold on. You asked me for proof. I mean, sure. uh, first, first you've got the Integrated Terrorism Assessment Center. I assume you're not disavowing the intelligence reports because that's what they're... They explicitly name McKenzie as a key individual associated with ideological motivated extremist groups. Okay. So you know that. So um, he's been associated with, he said, they say white nationalist accelerationist separatist radical libertarians who justify violence to achieve uh, ideological objectives. But so, they have I, never committed any violence whatsoever. And to my knowledge, I've never heard of them justifying violence or whatever. And I mean, again, this is, this is our government organizations like CSIS or the Integrated Terrorist Network or whatever. Again, they all work for Trudeau and the liberals anyway. No, so they don't. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Respectfully. Yeah. Like, just be careful here. I, I'm going to stop you. The idea that our police units are all working so, for Justin Trudeau, they have their own 
Like, don't besmirch the men and women who work there. Their job is to assess threats to our country. They're not political pawns of the government. That's not how it works. That the law, well, you can, you can, you can grunt about it, but if you think the that that there's not, it's not important to have independent security assessments outside of the political infrastructure. Then, then you know. It's, this is a vital tenet of our democracy. And until you can prove to me that these are propaganda tools of the government, you're just spreading a conspiracy theory. And I think that's pretty dangerous. Well, I mean, look, Evan, I mean, uh, look, everything, everything is pretty corrupted right now. And I mean, I wish I care about our democracy, okay? I think that, I think that uh, Jeremy will, uh, wants a better future for our country, and so do so many other people in this in this country. So, I mean, uh, you know, you, you get, you, I think you and the media have to be careful about who you're labeling terrorists and who right. you're labeling extremists. Yeah, but, you but hold about, on, you only talk about people on the right. How about all the, uh, the leftists out well, there? What well, we're talking about. Okay, but hold on. Don't, don't, don't give me the whataboutism. We've okay, got well. a guy. Well, because the story today is Jeremy McKenzie. Like, I'm happy to take this call, but let's remember this guy is one of the key members of the Diagonal movement. Big now, you deal, have to say. <laughs> okay, but you say big deal. What is the Diagalon movement? Okay, Diagalon believes that there is a, a true nation that runs from Alaska to Florida, right? That believes in the power of the world economy. That's that is basically, um, a, and it's a white flag. You can make of this what it is that they are going to you know fight communism and moral degeneracy, and they basically have a lot of nasty. Hateful conspiracy theorist uh, that they work with, and you know that. How is that nasty, Evan? That, they sound like pretty solid dudes to me, you know what I mean? They all sound like pretty good guys, fighting communism, fighting degeneracy. That's what we need more of in this country. Right. And what do you think? Um, do, you, do you think they're white nationalists? Oh, probably, you, but you know what I mean? Like, so you know, you what do you mean probably? So I'm asking you, you say they're white nationalists, you're like, and you can excuse that? What are you going to sure, say? Sure. Why? Do, are you, you a white nationalist? About, do you not care uh, wait, about white people, Evan? No, are you a... I care about people. Are you a white nationalist? Uh, hey, I'm pro-white. You know what I mean? Like, All right, but... but do you, let me ask you this, Evan, because we were, we were talking before. I mean, like, you know, you talk about diagonal and their philosophies. Do you want to see white people become a minority in this country? Yes I am no? not concerned. Hey, listen, listen. I'm not, I'm, I'm, this platform is about to be over. I'm going to tell you something. You white people are not under threat, and I thanks for the call. I, I, I'm going to leave this because I'm not going to platform this. The idea that this idea that you're like, well, yeah, I'm a white nationalist. I'm going to. We're about rights. We have a constitution that defends rights of all people, whatever your religion, whatever your color. This idea that you're coming on this show to defend a guy that you now have admitted that is probably a white nationalist because you're a white nationalist. I'm not platforming white nationalists on on here. And, but that, but there, folks, there it is in a nutshell. And I think this is really interesting. I took a random call. This guy's defending Jeremy McKenzie. And, and he said, yeah, maybe they are white nationalists. I'm a white nationalist too. I care about the future. So if that's what the cause is, do you not think this ought to be denounced? This, in my view, is the remora that parasitically lives on the political shark. I could have said, I'm going to come back to this because my phone lines are going to blow up here. I didn't expect that call. 
But that, to me, is as illustrative as it gets. I introduced this topic, and a guy, maybe I'll, maybe I'll continue talking about this, one 833 or 7-10-10. Let's keep this conversation going. Should this call, just like that, should politicians be calling this out? Because look what's out there. It was right in front of you. Talking to the newsmakers every day. The conversation continues with Evan Solomon. So that was a fascinating moment in live radio. one 1010 or 71010 just before the break. Look, I'm asking this question because I believe that the far right movement, and people say, why are you covering the far left? I'm covering the far right because the news is that a guy named Jeremy McKenzie, you may not have heard of him, guy associated with the Diagonal movement, you may not have heard of it, but this is a, uh, what they call an accelerationist. They're trying to accelerate the collapse of society so they can build one in their own name. And these have been associated with far-right groups and racist groups. He's a veteran of Afghanistan. And he went up and shook Pierre Polyev's hand at a, an event in Dartmouth, and Pierre Polyev said, look, I shake hands with tens of thousands of people. I don't vet everybody. And I'm not here to decide if Mr. Polyev knew or didn't know him. Some people say he should have. Some others say he didn't. Whatever. I can't, I'm, I don't, I'm not in the speculation business. But the question now is, should, now that he does know who McKenzie is, now that McKenzie's openly published a video saying he knew this would happen, he's used this clearly to bask in the halo of Mr. Polyev, Knowing that Mr. Polyev, you know, has, like McKenzie, supported the trucker occupation in, in Ottawa, marched with another veteran, uh, James Topp, who walked across Canada in, in an anti-mandate issue. I've had Mr. Topp on this uh, station. Topp then has gone on McKenzie's podcast. Now, this is that world. I believe they're remora, those um, parasitical fish that live at the bottom, that suction themselves on the bottom of a big shark. To benefit from the predatory and the the sharks movement, and I think these guys got to cut the remora off. And Pierre Polyev denies that he's ever supported of racism, and which is good, but he never specifically denounced Mackenzie. And should he? Now, as I was talking about that, some guy, you know, we take calls, and he said, "I, I, he shouldn't." This is all about trying to discredit Pierre Polyev. I don't know why it's about to discredit Mr. Polyev when it was McKenzie himself who clearly plotted this. That's what happens when you're a leader. You've got to deal with this. But then this guy who phoned in was essentially a white nationalist. He openly admitted it. And so there it is. Like, it's out there, which is fine. We know that. And we can't be afraid of talking about it. But the idea that, oh, it's not there, doesn't exist, here it is. Here it is. So one 633 or seven ten ten should politicians completely disavow not just the extremism, but the people involved in it? Like, I want a good debate between conservatives and liberals and NDP and progressives. Have at it. Talk about our tax and our policies and big government, small government. Talk about vaccine mandates. Talk about all sorts of things. 
I'm not platforming white nationalism, conspiracy theory. I don't do that. But that's happening. It was like, well, what about my thoughts? People just making stuff up. Sonny in Richmond Hill, what's up? How are you doing? I'm good, Sonny. What, what's your take on all this? Well, I can only can say the first thing that jumped out of my mind, into my mind, was this guy was very revealing. Because what he told you, uh, he, he didn't know uh, the gentleman that was uh, involved in this and uh, that he was for everything. But as you spoke to him, you know, it's very difficult sometimes for people to hide their innermost uh, perceptions or their feelings. And based on that, we, we, we are aware, uh, and, and this is where Mr. Polyev can't come and tell me that he doesn't know this person. Because just from what he has said on the convoy alone, and, and, and his sort of pseudo-support of the convoy, uh, Polyev knows all these people. And, and Polyev can deny until he's blue in the face that he's not a racist, in my opinion. I want him to tell me, will he vote the vote that they took in Quebec in terms of people of faith cannot have a religious uh, covering or a hijab or a hamilka uh, or a, um, you know, any re- religious uh, symbol on them. And they, uh, he does, doesn't support that. Okay, so, so, so Sonny, I'm going to get you another call, but I, I want to tell you this. I don't know if Mr. You, you think he, knew, he should have known McKenzie. I don't know. I don't speculate on that. But you're right. We can say, did he vote? For certain things, though the policies are revealing what they actually say is revealing. He has not openly denounced McKenzie. I will say that since it's been revealed who Jeremy McKenzie has been sunny in Richmond Hill. But I think I, I appreciate the call. I've just got so many calls. And I want to get to Richard uh, in the nation's capital. What's up? Hey, Evan, how's it going? It's going good. It's going good. Listen, you know, I, I like whoever's on the on the call. I'll take it. Uh, I want to hear from all, all voices. And you know what? That's that's why I respect you, Evan. You want to hear from everybody, and that's fantastic. I just want to thank you real quick for doing what you do and putting up with what sometimes can be seen as the most disgusting people on this planet. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, look, look. Let me let me just say this. I'm not characterizing people. I don't put people down. Um, you you know how I like to do it. A, I don't mind. I like a good brawl. I like when people challenge me, and I'll challenge them back if I think the case. Sometimes I go, you know what? That's a great point. I hadn't thought about that, and you know that. But you know, I will say this. Of course, it's not. You know, everyone's got a right. Like I, you know, a white nationalist has no spot for me. I'm not into that. I'm into protecting rights of all human beings. That's what our constitution says. That's what the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is about. Whatever your race, creed, color, you have the same rights. The people that are calling in and, and talking about white nationalism, no spot there. People who talk about hate, no spot there. So I'll challenge all that crap or people peddling conspiracy theory. But I'm at the same time. I will say this. I don't personalize. I'm not saying, you know, I don't call them names. Um, I just I just try to stay away from that. So at least we can get some sunlight on this stuff. You know what I mean? No, I get you. And I respect you for for not personalizing that. And and you've kind of shown me now that maybe I shouldn't personalize those kinds of people, too. I'll have my thoughts and I'll be open to sharing my thoughts about them. 
so again, just uh, thank you, Evan. And I want to say that uh, Mr. McKenzie uh, should stop using his veteran status to uh, politicize himself. Yeah, Richard, I, Richard, first of all, I really appreciate the call. Thank you. Um, mostly people call in just to yell at me. So, Richard, this is like a really nice Monday, so I appreciate it. <laughs> it's kind of cool. But no I do man, any time. Hey, thanks, brother. But you're right. It's interesting. I always respect the men and women like Mr. McKenzie, who served our country. Hey, you've got my respect as a veteran, but your status as a veteran doesn't shield you from all your views at all. Uh, Bill in London, what's up? Um, I promise I won't yell at you. I think we're, when we look back in history, that the 2020s and beyond are going to go down as the millennium of the uh, extremists. The pendulum is swinging uh, so far and so fast, uh, and our social moral fabric of our society <laughs> is being put to the test each and every day. And I think what catapulted this was the Trump era in the United States when it was out there for the world to see just how quickly and just how vehemently uh, extremist groups could rise to the surface and begin to uh, pound their own chest and say, we're right and you're wrong and to hell with everybody else. So at the end of the day, good journalism is about presenting both sides of the coin, which you do adequately, I feel, and allowing the good people uh, of Ontario and of Canada to uh, make up their own rational minds. I do believe firmly that the extremists will die out as soon as people stop paying attention to them. And sometimes it's sort of the double-edged sword where as you give them airplay and give them newspaper print, it just perpetuates mm. their position that they're trying to, you know, infiltrate uh, into everybody else's social yeah. network. So at, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. But Bill, Bill, I appreciate, I got to 10 seconds here, but Bill, first of all, I appreciate the call. I actually would debate you a bit on the cause of it. This isn't the most extremist age. I think the the rise of social media has uh, amplified certain voices in a way we've never heard, and that's had a really good thing and a really bad side. So I don't think it's all bad. We've had significantly more extremist times in, our, in history than today, but I think every generation is challenged what kind of society do we want to live in? That's our challenge. Gotta take a break. When important decisions are made, we report. Here's Evan Solomon. Welcome back to the show. Okay, we got lots coming up. Boy, it's been a fascinating uh, Monday. I didn't expect to go this way. Uh, you know, I've been talking about should uh, politicians denounce extremism? I think the answer is yes. It's pretty obvious. Their job is to uphold the law. They are lawmakers. People who are anarchists who want to rip down our country and accelerate the decline of our country so they can reassess. Like, why would a politician want that? We want evolution. We want change, of course, but we don't want a revolution. And then, of course, one of our callers was exposed as a white nationalist. But it's kind of interesting, and I've been talking about this theme that about shark, because I love sharks, so I'm really laying it heavy on the sharks today. I don't know why. Actually, I yeah, I was even telling my kids the other day, well, one of my kids, because the other one I haven't talked to, because um, he's away out of cell phone reach, but that, did you know that uh, killer whales K-1 
can destroy a great white, like a great white shark versus a killer whale. Killer whale all the time will win. In fact, killer whales in parts of the southern tip of Africa, of South Africa, are lit, they eat the livers out of great white sharks, and great white sharks fear orcas. Incredible predator, total predator. But then you got these remora, these fish, these parasites that live on them. And I've been saying that's a political analogy to these far right groups that try to attach themselves to mainstream politicians. And mainstream politicians have to be aware of this social phenomenon because this is happening. Well, the convoy was a big shark. And now there's another remora on the bottom. And let's, there's new strategies. Everybody's evolving a new strategy to kind of keep their extremist group going. And there's a group called the United People of Canada. Now, I don't, you may not have heard of them, who are in this land, kind of this landlord battle to buy something called the St. Bridget Center for the Arts in Ottawa. And it's a really fascinating story because apparently there are these groups associated with protest groups or far-right groups or different kind of extremist groups, let's call it, who are buying up old churches and wanting to use them as kind of permanent homes for their movement. I don't know a lot about this, but I'll tell you who does. The good news is he's our producer for the day, Sam's away. So Andrew Pinson, now if you live in Ottawa, you know he's the host of CFRA Live on Newstalk 580 CFRA on the weekends. He's a superb reporter, but he has been absolutely on the front lines of this trucker-affiliated group that is trying to say that they own this church in downtown Ottawa, but they're being evicted. And Andrew's been on the front lines. They've been yelling at him. It's been... uh, Pretty amazing reporting. Andrew Pinson's here to... So, Andrew, first of all, love having you produce the show today, but also report for us. For those people outside of Ottawa, what's the story at the St. Bridget's Church, and who are the United People of Canada? So I guess uh, to try to back it up a little bit, and thanks for having me on, Evan, just in terms of the United People of Canada, this group kind of um, moved into the church and signed a lease with St. Bridget's. Uh, They are what they call an inclusive group, uh, trying to be a community group, what they say will will help the the community around the church. So that's kind of their MO that they say. And uh, there were some connections to the Freedom Convoy early on when the group moved into the church that they had disputed outright. But the connections kind of continued to keep going. Even the pastor at the church, Diane Nolan, or the pastor with the group, I should say, uh, Diane Nolan, uh, took part in the convoy. She was talking about it on Saturday. She said that Ottawa basically needed to get over it and that there was a lot of good things happening in the community type thing. But uh, again, the group, uh, no real you know, major issues until last week um, when it was uh, given a notice of eviction from the owner of the church. And they had said that they were $10,000 behind in rent, that they didn't have the proper insurance for the property, and that they'd also been doing construction in the property uh, without approval. And it's a heritage building. So If anybody's familiar with Ottawa, you know, the red tape that uh, you have to go through. So they were alleged to kind of do those things. And ever since then, ever since they were given that notice, it has been a dog's breakfast of uh, excuses and answers and changing answers and a number of things. So, you know, at first they said they weren't behind in the rent. Yesterday they hold a press conference saying, well, we tried to give the rent, but the landlord didn't take it. Uh, Just a number of questionable moves, even on Thursday and Friday night, trying to sell what are they call community bonds. Uh, to the public, uh, just not looking very transparent on that front to, to get some money back. And when you have a church that has no income plan, you know, how are you going to pay these back? So just it's raising a number of questions. Are they a church, though? Like, I'm just trying to figure out. I know they're a nonprofit organization from London, Ontario. I, I get that. And I don't know. I, I guess they were affiliated in a very 
non-direct way with the trucker protest. By the way, so what? Being affiliated with a protest is not a bad, you know, not necessarily something that people have to be ashamed about. Mm-hmm. Is there any, what's their, I know they want to call this an embassy. What's their MO? Like, what do they want to do? So you're still trying to, in terms of still trying to figure out what exactly the direction of the group is at this point, but it has been, you know, spread around with members of the, the Freedom Convoy, um, you know, Dwayne Lynch involved as well as an advisor in this group and talking about using it as a center to set up. And when we look at some, there's a lot of evangelical Christian content involved here. And we saw that over the weekend with, I mentioned, you know, Pastor Diet Nolan bringing up a whole lot of that issue. And, you know, south of the border, it has been an, uh, a thing that evangelical Christians have done, particularly on the far right, is that they will take um, churches that are out of commission that don't have an active congregation and uh, take them over. And this is an idea that many evangelical groups in the U.S. consider kind of being modern prophets that should be running the churches at this point. So they kind of feel, Diane Nolan is kind of under the impression that uh, they, they're doing God's work and God would want them in the church. That's what she says over the course of the weekend. But the law is is kind of saying otherwise. So what, this, this, this fight over the eviction or non-eviction, why is this important for people to pay attention to? I guess it's the next step in terms of what they're going to try to claim, because from what they've claimed so far, that they're being discriminated against based on their beliefs and things like that. So, you know, I think the the owner and even the bailiff involved, they're trying to avoid any confrontation like we saw during the Freedom Convoy. So it looks like they are going to be evicted on Thursday. But I guess just in terms of what's going on with the money involved in this group moving forward is going to be trying Trying to figure out that is going to be interesting and where they move from here. Because, uh, you know, William Comer is a, is a board member with this group. He moved from London, Ontario to be here. And this was the space that they invested all their time and money in. So where do they go from here? Do they try to, you know, move on to another building or to another church in another city? So it's just kind to see, you know, when they do eventually get the boot and the owner is assuring us that's going to happen on Thursday, where they go from there. Kind of interesting. What was ha- they didn't love when you uh, confronted them, did they? Yeah, so I had had actually just I had had some specific questions for Mr. Comer and he had been giving me the runaround and was standing on the sidewalk as well when I was asking him questions. And he had called the police on me several times, claiming harassment by standing on the sidewalk and uh, asking him questions such as, you know, about the bonds. Are you registered to kind of sell those kind of securities here in Ontario? Uh, He's been accused of harassing one of the community groups in the area about posters against the church. So I was asking him about that. Right. Uh, no answers, just a, a lot of rhetoric and uh, accusations of harassment and other things. But yeah, not, not uh, well, making friends. Well, look, this is interesting. <laughs> We're following these kinds of stories because, you know, protest movements sometimes evolve into permanent movements and with home bases. And and this is kind of a microcosm of it. And that's why we're paying attention to it. What happens here? We'll watch that closely. All right. Uh, Andy, thanks for that. Stick around, of course, as he's producing the entire show. Let's switch to inflation. There's a new poll out on inflation that says four in five Canadians are having to pinch pennies. Shachi Curl from Angus Reid. Grocery stores, are they benefiting from your pain? That's next. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Not breaking news, inflation. Killing us at the grocery store, killing us everywhere. 
even though inflation is dropping to like 7.6%, just the idea that that's a drop is an indictment of this. Uh, there's a report out today saying that the UK could have inflation of like over 18%. Like these are bad times. Actually, the German chancellor is in uh, Canada meeting with Trudeau today. Uh, and one of the driving costs of inflation, there's a lot, I'm not going to point it out, but the war, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the subsequent spike in fuel prices have driven up a lot of things. Uh, but Angus Reid has a new survey out saying that four in five Canadians now are, quote, pinching pennies, and they believe that grocery stores might be gouging us. To dig into it, our good friend Shachi Curl from Angus Reid joins us. Shach, before we get into the numbers, let's get into the, hey, how are yous? How's the summer? What's cooking? Evan Solomon, as I live and breathe, you don't call me anymore, man. I have have been off, but I love talking to you. I miss you. What's cooking? How's the summer? Summer, summer's been grinding. It's it's the long hot summer of inflation, of hockey scandals, of of papal apologies, of healthcare crises. Wait for some new data on that from us, by the way. Is so, that right? Oh, hey, it we're, is. We're, we're, this has been a heavy busy. news cycle summer. It, it has. It really has been. So it's not exactly been a time where you know I've been uh, swinging in a hammock and 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 reading Pulp Fiction. Although I wish I had been. Do you read Pulp Fiction? I do read Pulp Fiction in the summers. I like it. You know, good... I, Pulp, not exactly Pulp Fiction, but but I will downgrade to an easy read. There might be a little bit of candy candy literature in there. Is that right? <laughs> I, I go full detective mode. Like, I've read, I, oh, like, in the crime. summer, yeah. I, not just true crime. Like, yeah. I go through the pulpiest stuff that I can get. I, I, I really try to check out. So I, I, I get in there. Like, like, I have read, like, 20 Brad Thor novels, right? Like, you don't even know who that is. Catch up on my spy genre, so that's that's. Okay, my I do that too. So, okay, so let's so, get to the survey. All right, no, I want to talk summer reading. Okay, all right, I'll do that. Listen, you know me. I'll I'll talk. I'll talk about anything. Go for it. But but I do think. But I do think with all that you're saying that's going on, the yeah. one be you know interest rates are up, but inflation's yeah. nuts. Yeah. So so what happens is in when we look at this retrospectively. You and I, every time we've been on together to talk about the economy, it's always been tied to employment rates, right? It's like, how many people are working? What's that looking like? Where are we seeing softness in particular industries? And also really sort of tied to things like commodity prices and the markets and and sort of where Canada stands globally and all of that. This is a whole new ballgame, Evan. You know that. I know that because people are working but it's not employment that's really driving a sense of financial security at the household level anymore. It's the, oh, my God, I just paid what to fill up my SUV? Or, oh, my God, I just paid that much to feed my family at the grocery store for the week? Holy moly. And it is that holy moly factor combined with a lot of stress, whether you're paying a mortgage, whether you have a mortgage coming due, and those and those rates of 1.8% mortgage are gonzo, and what they're being replaced with are numbers that are, are exponentially higher, combined with rising rents. People are seeing their savings eaten into, they're seeing that discretionary cash gone, and they're really now pivoting to a place where it's like, got to pay down the credit card debt, got to pay off the student loans, got to pay off the things that maybe didn't feel like such a burden in the past because they are coming at us fast and hard. 
Yeah, and it's regionally different, isn't it? Like across the country, people are feeling it in different places. They are. Uh, you know, there is, there's always a higher level of financial stress on the prairies, no matter what. And, and I don't know whether that's baked into um, uh, a mindset or a culture around how you spend money or how you save money. But it's something that we've seen in terms of economic optimism or optimism or pessimism going back for years and years and years. So it's not to minimize what they're going through. Remember also that people in Alberta and Saskatchewan are often far more vulnerable to the vagaries of commodity prices, fuel prices, that kind of thing, uh, relative to people, say, in the GTA or, or in Metro Vancouver or other parts of the province uh, or other parts of the country. Atlantic Canada, people on fixed incomes, people who are, uh, you know, generally demographically older, you've got more retirees. They are looking at their savings being eaten at two ways. Number one, because the cost of everything is so much higher. And also because the days of sticking your money in a GIC or in a savings account and earning 5 or 6 or 8% on it, those days have not returned. So the cost of borrowing is higher, but the cost of saving is not paying off in the way that it has done in the past. That's so fascinating. Now, what about this notion that that grocery store? Do people believe grocery stores are gouging us and taking advantage of this to to, to line their own pockets? It's it's certainly the perception, and so we've seen kind of story arc where initially we saw those grocery stores reporting some some pretty good quarterly results, and everybody gave the grocery industry a little bit of side eye and said, "Huh, what's going on there? Why are you charging that much for that cereal?" Uh, the grocery industry came back, the big stores came back, the big chains came back and said, hey, look, it's just that we're, we're doing, we're, we're managing our stores better, we're, we're finding ways to create efficiencies for our shareholders. Whether that's the case or not, and who am I to say, because I'm not looking at their balance sheets, but what I can tell you is Canadians uh, are, are calling a little bit of the baloney factor on that. Their perception is that, uh, that these chains are somewhat com- complicit in uh, in raising prices unnecessarily. People are feeling this. Uh, can I, I, I'm just going to interrupt this for a little breaking news. Do you mind? Right, but no, I want, I my breaking news is very personal though. Okay. My daughter just texted me. She just passed her drive. Yay! Yes! Yay! Yes! Oh, she was so nervous. Everybody remembers that feeling. Yes! So my daughter just texted me. She goes, I just passed my driving test. I knew she was taking it. So Great. she just got her license yesterday. We spent like an hour practicing parallel parks and reverse. We were in the car doing it. So she, uh, do you remember how oh, nervous you were on your test? I, I do. I totally remember. I remember that when I pulled back into the, the testing station, I parked the car slightly on the line. And, and the instructor kind of looked at me as we were walking back in to take me through my test results. And I'm like, is he going to automatic fail me because I did a crappy parking oh. job? He didn't. I, got, I, I passed. But, do you know? Do you know what's interesting now? You can't yeah. look at the rear view camera. So, like, you take the test in your own car. But while yeah. while my daughter was practicing, I had to like cover the camera because you, if you're caught glancing at the camera, you're toast. So you got to do it without the camera. Look, I've driven old cars my whole life. I got my first new car only three years ago. My very first new car was only three years ago, and it came like it had it had all these sensors. It had backup cameras. It had forward. Oh. Sensing, and I'm like, what is all this stuff? Like, I don't need so grandma good. driving oh, bl- with me. Come on, the the blind spot camera is good, but it was so it's so funny. Like the driving test, you get nervous. Like you remember that. 
so vividly oh, that test. It was you know. a few years ago now for both of us, my dear. But just, hey, just let's take it back to the data and let's just talk about the fact that now you not only get to worry about where is she driving to and when is she coming home, yeah. but also how much for gas, young lady? Well, you know what's funny? We filled up the car yesterday and I said, okay, you fill up. And yeah. she was like, Jesus, expensive. I'm like, yeah, you. the pain at the pump is, and it's like the pain at the pump is significantly less than it was like a month ago, but it's unbelievable. It and, depends on you know, where you live. It and for, and you as you say, and I know we did, we just got a minute here, Shach, but, yeah. but you know, politically, just if you can give me the 30 second, I think this becomes the main issue. And, and whatever people think about Mr. Polyev, he's been sitting on this and he owns this issue and it's a good one. Well, it's, it's definitely one that is so personal, right? What politicians always need to look for? Issues that connect with people directly. And they are feeling this so much. They're cutting back on major purchases. They're cutting back on discretionary spending. Heck, they're even cutting back on donations to charities. And, you know, as someone who does a lot of volunteer work in the charitable sector, I'm co-chair yeah. of the Canadian Cancer Society, that is very worrying news. So, look, for, politically... This is one of those things that any sitting government is going to pay a political price oh, yeah. for, and even if they're not directly connected to it, because everyone's mad. Inflation's a government killer. Shachi Curl, Angus Reed Institute. You are the best. I'm going to take texts and calls. Do you think grocery stores are ripping you off? Have you cut your spending? one 633 1010 Helping you through these unique times. This is the Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, do you grocery stores are they? Do you feel they're ripping you off and benefiting from inflation? This is one of the findings in Shachi Curl from the Angus Reid Institute was talking about. Four and five Canadians they say are pinching pennies because we've got seven point six inflation rate. Uh, though that's dropping, it's insanely high. Uh, the, it might and it may go up. Four and five Canadians say they've cut their spending. They're trimming uh, major purchases. They're driving less. They're giving less. They're saving less, and that's pretty big deal. Half say they couldn't manage a sudden expense of more than a thousand bucks. Everything's more than a thousand bucks. Fender bender, thousand bucks. Someone smashes your window in your car, five hundred bucks. Like. Nightmare. Two and five say a surprise bonus of five thousand bucks would be used to alleviate debt. One eight five five six three three ten ten or seven ten ten. Have you cut back your spending? Do you feel grocery stores are ripping you off? What's changing? Like I want to get into the real life and maybe what the government should do at any level. Because it's significant. Gary, what's up? Hello, how are you? Right, Gary, it's Monday. I'm shooting the crap with people, shooting the breeze. I love it. And, but this is the big one. I, I mean, I, whatever side of the political fence anyone's on, inflation hurts. That's for sure. What's Especially your... When you go, yeah, go for hello? it. Yeah, go for it. Sorry. 
you go to the grocery store, you go to No Frills, let's say. It's supposed to be a cheaper store rather than going to the really expensive metros and Sobeys. And you go and you pick up a product and you get to the cash and you know it said two fifty on the sign and it goes two ninety five and you go, No, it said two fifty. Well under that two fifty in fine print it says if you buy two or more you get the sale price. So that's it's forcing people to buy extra products to try and get things cheaper when they don't have the money to spend in the first place. So this is how they're gouging. Buy four, you get it at this price. Otherwise, you pay this extra high price just for one item. When people can't afford to buy more than the one mm. item, they get stuck paying the higher price. Tell me something, Gary, just while I got you. Have you cut back? Oh, for sure. Give me, give me a sense of what, what you would, maybe like a year ago or three years ago, what you would do and what you're doing today. Well, I w- before I would go to Metro and I would go to, uh, I shouldn't maybe name some of the higher-end stores, but now um, with everything being as high as it is, you're constantly looking for the deals, like going back to flyers. I mean, we didn't use flyers for years. Now you're looking at flyers. I've got an app I put on my phone a month ago called Flip. I don't know if you've heard of it, but on Flip, I can search for eggs. I can search for for dirt for my garden. I can search for anything and find the best price. So now I, I can... I have to spend more time trying to find the deals to try and save money because everything is getting so expensive. Yeah, the Flip Flip app is is an important app, right? Like to to, to yeah. get people safe. Hey, man, good luck. It, it's a tight time, and I appreciate it, Gary. Uh, Jim have, Jim have Jim's got a real interesting point here. Uh, you say you're from Newtonville. Where, first of all, tell me where Newtonville is, and you deliver for grocery stores. So, what's your take? Bowmanville. It's the other side of Bowmanville. Oh, it's Bowmanville. Okay, 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 okay. I know exactly where you are. Oh, that way. Okay. Okay. We actually delivered at grocery stores. I've been off for a year because I got cancer, but that's side point. But um, the problem that you're looking at is, is because we're going to the new green agenda and they've canceled all the oil and all the rest of that, and it's all evil and everything else, well, everything gets delivered by truck. You jack the prices of fuel up, and guess what? Somebody has to pay for that. Okay, so we deliver, everything's delivered by truck. So all the groceries, I deliver for the grocery stores. So I drive to the grocery stores all over the place, and we deliver all over Ontario. So here's the problem. you got to pay for the extra fuel charges. you got to pay for the extra surcharges. Okay, on top of that, the people that are actually growing it have to pay for the inflation cost of getting seed and fertilizer and everything else. Now they're talking about banning fertilizer, so that's going to raise the price actually producing things even more because somebody has to pay for that and all of these prices get passed on to the consumer and the consumer has no choice whether they pay it or not because they have to eat everybody has to eat now here's the biggest problem with inflation going up to over seven percent somebody's going to have to pay for the inflation the companies can't absorb it so they pass it on to the consumer so this government has got to pull their head out of their butt and start paying attention to this stuff. Okay, so there, look, there's no question things like the price on carbons made uh, gas more expensive. The war in Ukraine all over the world has made uh, fuel prices okay, go hold on, up. Hold on. There's lots of different things. Well, hold on, hold on. Uh, let me just, okay. there's lots Sorry. of different things that are driving uh, the price of gas up. I totally agree with you. Um and I think that, by the way, was one of the key drivers in inflation, as you know. Uh, prices now, now gas is is sort of uh, coming down again in price for. But you remember these are internationally set issues, and you know we we talk about this on the on on the uh, the program a lot. But they still could drop gas tax as some uh, provinces are doing. So there are ways 
to uh, drop the price of gas marginally, but not uh, considerably. Go ahead. Okay. Everybody keeps saying the war in Ukraine and it's universal set. When the U.S. was self-independent, fuel independent, it had nothing to do with the international. It wasn't set by international anymore because they were fuel independent. Canada has more oil than Saudi Arabia. We've never had a real good refinery plant in Canada. And if we actually put one in that was actually, you know, clean energy, they can create cleaner energy out of anybody in Canada. We got the technology for that. If we put it in, we'd be oil independent. We'd be uh, energy independent in Canada. And the last time we did this, where we were pumping more oil and we were sipping it all over the world, our dollar was actually okay. at a dollar ten U.S. Okay, but yeah. okay, okay. So, 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 should we? Be, okay, I appreciate the call. We have seventeen refineries operating in Canada, as you know. We have about fourteen that produce gasoline. Should we have more? Uh, yeah. Do we need some pipelines, for example, to get oil east to west for different kinds of refinery? But first of all, we do have refinery, for example, the Irving in New Brunswick, which, which is the biggest, 320,000 barrels a day. So it's not like we don't have it. Uh, the United States has a price spike uh, in, um, in in gas as well. They have been basic. I mean, they import a lot of oil from Canada, which we, we like. We're the biggest exporters to the United States. But that's because with their fracking uh, kind of collapsed. Um, so, look, these are I appreciate the call, by the way. And by the way, just on a more important note, and I want to get one more call in. Um, I hope your uh, your battle with cancer, which you mentioned, uh, is going well, because that's consequential. I hope you get back to health so you can still deliver the groceries. So I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you, uh, Jim. Uh, I got I got two minutes, Mike, in Toronto. Um, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Inflation is a big issue. And, to, you know, if you look at the root causes, I think you, you have to end up with government policy as the primary driver, not corporation greed government policy as the primary driver of this inflation, whether it is printing money, like, you know, uh, like, like there's no tomorrow, like there's reckless deficits um, when, when there's no need, uh, whether it's the lockdown, maybe justified, but government policy is the reason for this inflation. And to turn to government in return and say, can you fix this, is, I think, the definition of insanity. But, uh, so so how do you, what, what is it? I, I, I'm, let me just give some facts. I'm not going to dispute, I'm going to give you some facts, but I'll just give you, for example, um, in May, um, profits for oil companies, and I'm not blaming them, I'm just going to give you the facts here, as you know, that um, were some of the highest in history. Right. Imperial Oil uh, posted a profit in the highest opening quarter in 30 years. They made one point one billion dollars. Canadian Natural Resources doubled year over year quarter numbers. Three point one billion. Suncor two point nine five billion in quarter one, quadrupling last year's results. So just remember, whatever's who's ever the fault, the big oil companies, I'm just giving you the numbers. They are making bank. By the, by the definition of inflation, their profits are going to be record. <laughs> like you're using a circular argument there. Government government revenues are are, are you know revenue are, are record breaking. Why is there not criticism about that? I I, I talk about it. I, there is criticism. That's why I think they should dump. And we can we can talk about this more. So I'm just running out of time here. But I think you're right. I think they should be giving people a break on the gas tax because they've collected record revenue. So I totally agree with you there. We got to take a break.
From coast to coast to coast, the newsmakers talk here. This is The Evan Solomon Show. I had a very interesting call today. Guy started out reasonably. I'm asking people should uh, politicians call out extremists. As I say, like Jeremy McKenzie, one of these guys that he says he invented the meme called Diagalon. And he shook hands with Pierre Polyev. He's Is he gaslighting? Is he a remora on the shark? Is he using this? Uh, I don't want to debate whether a politician knew or didn't know at the time. I can't tell. I, I, I don't speculate. But I do ask, should they be called out? Should someone like Jeremy McKenzie be called out? Now, then I get this call and the guy says, no, I think he's the right thing. And after a couple of questions, this guy says, yeah, he's a white nationalist. He supports uh, policies that help white people. And he's an open white nationalist. He has no problem with white nationalism. And there it is. It was just sort of cracked open like an egg on the show. So I wanted to do a deeper dive into who is Jeremy McKenzie. Like, what is, are these people programmatically, strategically getting these photos with mainstream politicians because they know they won't be called out to try to mainstream their own cause. Well, someone who's been following this for a long time is Justin Ling, freelance journalist, podcaster, you name it, Justin does it, and he joins me now. How are you? you, And and I'm busting up on your vacation, aren't I? I'm I'm standing with a beer on the beach in northern New Brunswick. So, I don't know, you're not interrupting too much. Let me just say, just knowing you, throwing a dart i could have called you at any hour and you might be standing with a beer there's a fair there's a fair chance <laughs> of that is that, that. Fair? is that fair you're like oh i have a beer i'm like so, like you have to maybe narrow the category uh give me a sense of who this guy jeremy because people don't know like what's the big deal that pierre polyev shook this guy's hand uh what should we know about him the truth be told i mean you know jeremy mckenzie is one of many uh, various kind of far-right personalities in Canada. If anything, he's arguably one of the least successful ones in terms of, of sort of reach and impact. Like you said, he sort of heads up this this sort of meme-based fake country he calls Diagalon. It's really sort of a, a, an in-joke for a bunch of streamers who uh, largely, you know, kind of talk amongst themselves into a small kind of cohort of true believers online, largely on the video streaming platform Twitch. And, and Rumble and a few others. Uh, and these guys, uh, they also formerly went as the Plaid Army. They're sort of, you know, bro-y, uh, you know, edgelord sort of uh, jokesters who have made up all of these memes and for whom everything is sort of ironic and a joke. But but deep down really are, are, are you know, far-right true believers. Um, you know, they are, if not themselves, avowedly white nationalists, at least tied to white nationalists. Uh, they spread all manner of conspiracy theories, uh, far-right propaganda, anti-LGBTQ stuff, anti-immigrant stuff, occasionally outright anti-Semitism. You can find some Holocaust denialism amongst this crew, and, and Jeremy McKenzie, sort of the, the 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 father of all of it. Now, these are these are not a well-known organization. Uh, groups like the Canadian Anti-Hate Network had been keeping tabs on them. There had been uh, photos and videos emerging over the last year or so of this group uh, somewhere in the wilderness doing a sort of training camp of sorts, taking photos of themselves, anonymized with some some pretty heavy-duty uh, rifles, assault-style rifles, largely ones that are, at least at the time, were legal. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, this, this is a crew who are kind of adopting all of the trappings of, sort of some of the far-right militias we've had to worry about in recent years, but they were far from the only one. The only reason this group in particular is 
sort of on our radar in, in the way that it is, is because many members of this Diagon movement were arrested in Coots, Alberta, during the blockade of the border there, and charged with, allegedly, a plot to murder civilians and RCMP officers. Uh, these were guys that Jeremy McKenzie originally said he didn't know, didn't recognize, had nothing to do with, only to later acknowledge that he was he was tight with a number of them, and there's photos that, that back that up. So Jeremy McKenzie is sort of implicated in this movement that is allegedly behind you know this this pretty significant significant domestic terrorism plot. Uh, he's tried to sort of brush that off over the last number of months, suggest that it's sort of a politically motivated prosecution, but nevertheless. You know, here's a guy who has connections to a pretty significant national security threat, according to the RCMP and, and Crown Attorneys. Okay. Um, is Diagola, is it just a meme? They're dismissing it out. Oh, we're just gaslighting the media. They think it's a fake country. It's just a meme. Or is it ev- like, I don't know how it started, but, you know, you've got Maxine Bernier kind of uh, saying this is just a meme and, and that Trudeau and others are using this to uh, further crack down on people and to enhance their mandates. And it's all just a further proof that Trudeau's a dictator, essentially. That's what they say. Well, you know, a significant part of all of this is about trolling everyone, right? So Diagolon was sort of originally cooked up as this idea of a country that would run from um, the northeastern Canada right to southwestern the U.S., so a country that would sort of run diagonally across North America, right? It's a funny joke, right? And they and and they, they sort of kind of batted around ideas of what you know what comes and goes in this in this in this utopia they're planning of, and you know a lot of it's dumb, a lot of it's you know jokey, um, but you know, the occasion get some real stuff where they you know they're kind of talking about sort of the the, the nationalist ethno state that they want, one that focuses on traditional. Values. Values. I mean, these guys frequently share, um, you know, images and video and memes from, you know, Hungary, for example, you know, or Serbia. And they're talking about, you know, the need to go back to a state where you have a, you know, a, 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 a white nuclear family re- reduced or no immigration, you know, no tolerance for LGBTQ uh, families. And, you know, it, it is a joke. Of, of, a, of this utopia, but they're also being quite serious in a bunch of ways. But and this is how many of these groups operate, right? I mean, you know, think about uh, folks may have followed this, may not have, but for, you know, some uh, years ago, a bunch of alt right, far right organizations started using the OK symbol, you know, yeah, yeah, your, yeah. your thumb and forefinger together um, as, as sort of a, a, a we can nudge to each other. But they chose that specifically because it's a popular symbol anyway, and they wanted the media to freak out every time there was a picture of them all flashing this symbol at each other. You know, ditto for this Pepe the Frog meme, this weird, you know, bug-eyed frog that a bunch of them have adopted as their as their go-to sort of mascot. You know, it's it, it's a little cartoon frog that people were using anyway, and they wanted to co-opt it because they wanted to sort of blur the lines between what's a joke, what's real, what's ironic, what's what's co-option, what's you know appropriation, what's not. So there, there's a level of you know cunning here that we don't always give them credit for. And that's what Diagolon is, is really at so, so, so to its it, core. I'm speaking to Justin Ling here. Justin, so so what's the, you know, whether politicians know these people or not, they're showing up, they're shaking hands. Mackenzie's laughing at the fact that that's become viral. What do you think uh, the response ought to be? Because the, this is political. You know, you got Jean Charest saying, you know, Pierre Polyev's got to call this guy out. Polyev says, look, I meet thousands of people and I, I don't vet them and I never knew this guy anyway. 
Yeah, listen, my position has always been that just because you shake someone's hand doesn't mean you're legitimizing them. I, I, I think Polyev's quite right. I mean, he does shake a, a ton of people's hands every day, and he can't be expected to answer or to denounce every, you know, answer for or denounce every single person he, he touches at an event. I mean, that's ludicrous. But, you know, like, it's worth noting that Pierre Polyev has played into many of the conspiracy theories that people like Jeremy McKenzie need in order to recruit new followers and sort of, and sort of you know, break into the mainstream. I mean, Pierre Polyev has repeatedly espoused the nonsense theory that the World Economic Forum is secretly you know, about to take over Canadian sovereignty or represents a threat to our democracy. That's something that Jeremy McKenzie talks about ad nauseum, right? I think it's part of the reason why Jeremy McKenzie was so keen to go and shake his hand because he hears a, a kindred spirit when Pierre Polyev talks about Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and talks about it in these dour tones as though it's a threat to the country, right? So yeah, I, I don't think Pierre Polyev needs to answer for every single person he shakes hands with. I think he does have to answer for you know peddling in these conspiracy theories that he knows full mm. well are popular and, and, and utilized by this far-right media ecosystem. And, and by the way, not just him, but all politicians uh, who peddle this kind of crap. Uh, Justin Ling. But I just think we've got to get some information. I think you've done a superb job informing people on this stuff. So people actually have a real sense of what's going on out there because it's a it's a strategy of these groups to get uh, profile. I guess. Justin, thank you. I got to take a short break. Uh, Lots to come. Remembering your first apartment when we come back. through the changes. Here's Evan Solomon. Okay, I want to hear from you at 1-855-633-1010. That's the number to call. 1-855-633-1010 or 710-10. Do you remember your first apartment and your worst roommate story? Your crappy apartment. I, I, I'm off tomorrow moving one of my kids to her first apartment. She's sharing it with three others. Uh, there's going to be four girls in there. Uh, they're excited. They're, you know, we got to get the mattress and we got to get the desk and we're, we're packing the car up and they're all moving in. And it's pretty exciting. Second year university, their first apartment. It's pretty cool. Uh, she just got back from tree planting. A couple of them were up making money up north. Uh, they were two hours north of Thunder Bay for two and a half months, living in a tent. So they've made some good coin and they're ready to have their first apartment. And I re- like I don't know if you remember yours at one eight five five six three three ten ten or seven ten ten. I mean, I will say this: my daughter's a heck of a lot more hygienic than I was. Like I remember a roommate. One, I, I lived in a house in a really, like, we didn't even have locked doors in Montreal. I remember it was like February. I was sleeping in my bedroom and, and I woke up back then. I will say I slept um, au naturel. It was like February. It was like negative 25 Montreal. And a homeless guy was in my room putting on my clothes. I jumped out of bed. I'm like, what are you doing? Take off those clothes. I was butt naked. The guy's like, told me to F.O. Um, I was like, what? You know? So I'm like, dude, you cannot have my clothes on. And it was like freezing cold. He was homeless. So I like gave him some clothes. Uh, we we got this guy out because he was like in our house, just taking our stuff. And 
we never got new doors. We never had locks on our doors. It was just like, it was just like a base of It was such a crappy place. I remember that year, one of my roommates didn't like, one of my roommates loved television. He bought a new TV. He was a former athlete. He was a good football player, but he had been injured. And one of my roommates saw it was eating chili and saw something on TV he didn't like. So he just poured a pot of chili on the TV and then he just forgot about it and left. And my other roommate came home and was like, who the <clears throat> poured chili on the TV? And my other roommate was like, me, I, I just saw this stupid thing on TV. Like, who can I? And it was just like, worst roommate. I mean, they were great guys, too. I love them. I didn't consider them bad roommates. I love them. I was probably a worse roommate. Fernando, what's up? My roommate, my first roommate at university, he was, I think, I hope he's not listening, he was the worst roommate ever. An apartment building, which really wasn't in great shape, he got the biggest bedroom, and we were supposed to switch six months in. No. He used to come home drunk every night from the the pub on campus, bloody, sleeping until like noon or one o'clock, skipping classes, music loud all the time. But the worst offense of all is he would cook and never clean the place. It's horrendous. Horrendous. Should have had a contract on paper of expectations. Fernando, we had a room... We had a room where people who didn't want to clean dishes, they literally, some in the basement, this tiny room, people would smash beer bottles in there and just leave it in yeah. dishes. It was like, oh my God, it was disgusting. Like, we were, oh, it's like it was horrendous. awful. Horrendous. We were terrible. Awful. Horrendous. Got to write down, if any advice for me, if you're looking for it, write down expectations on paper, make them sign it. They're going to hold them accountable to it. Otherwise, it may be, maybe it's going to be good. Maybe, who knows, right? But well, I always think of landlords, too. Like, you know, those people who rent landlords to university students or college kids. It's, it's something. Fernando, I appreciate that. You do have to learn to be a good roommate. And, and sometimes you live in crappy apartments, and sometimes you have a crappy roommate. And sometimes you're like, you know, you know the roommate that never cleans up. The roommate. Now, I must say, I, I can't pretend that I was fussy. I was not that fussy. Like, I wasn't like a neat freak. Uh, I can recall some girlfriend saying, this is a disgusting place. Like, you have to clean it up. It was gross. And my daughter's not like that. Uh, I will say this. She seems, but everyone's got a bad room. That first, like, what is the, the, the key rule you need to learn if you're going to be a good roommate? First of all, you know, you got to not... The other thing is don't eat your roommate's food. I hated that roommate. Like, Hey, who ate my cereal? I love cereal. Uh, Nick, what's up? Uh, hi, uh, Evan. I'm a, I'm a landlord and I know it's not every college kid, but majority of them, uh, I rented, I rented them once and I will never rent them again because they're, when they leave, it's a disaster. I mean, they leave things there. They don't pick up their stuff. Uh, the walls are probably as uh, dirty and all that case. Uh, never again I would rent uh, 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 to a college kid. Is that and right? Wait, so so like are, that, do, you, do you have an apartment that you can rent that's close to one of these schools in Montreal? Yes, uh, it's right next door. And a college kid wants to come over, and I said, no, I'm sorry, uh, I have no responsibility, you guys. Unless you're giving me a $5,000 deposit, and uh, if, it, if it comes out clean, I'll give you back five thousand deposit. And all of them say no, so no reason, no, no reason for me to rent them. 
Wow, I appreciate that. No one, no, no college kids has five thousand bucks for a deposit. I appreciate that. Good luck, Phil. What's up? Yeah, my roommate, I caught him. He always uh, before an exam, he'd sit on the uh, vanity in the bathroom with a sink full of cold water and his underwear and his feet and his hands in the water before an exam. He did what? So he'd he'd sit and soak his hands and feet in your sink. Yeah, in his underwear before an exam to calm him down. Why didn't he use the bathtub? I, listen, I was just happy he paid rent. That is so weird. In his under, and he soaked his underwear? No, he sit in his underwear on the vanity and have his feet, his bare feet, oh, and his hands oh, in the sink. I, and it, that's so, gr- that's so weird. Water. That's so weird. Hey, listen, he done well in his exams. <laughs> Better than I did. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're soaking your feet. That's so funny. Thanks, Phil. That is so funny. Adam, what's up? Yeah, hi. So all my roommates were great because my older sister would vet every one of them before. And she would only let me have women as roommates and who absolutely had no uh, romantic uh, intentions. Um so I would Wait, you had no romantic intentions, or they had no romantic intentions? They had no, and I had no. They were, because all of my roommates, my older sister was gay, and all my roommates were lesbians. It was hilarious. Oh, that's good. So, and now, how did it, did they actually elevate, did your roommates get, like, sort of elevate your standards of living? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they basically said, you know, This place is not going to become a pig. We're not having a frat house in this place. So you learned how to be a good roommate. That is, your sister is smart. I grew up in a house of women, so I already was used to that. Oh, that's good. Yes, uh, yes. But uh, and now my my sister is a fabulous mother. So yeah, um, awesome. What is your advice for my daughter for living with a bunch of women? that guy who said, make sure that they write down everything, that's a terrific idea. Um, and don't, and okay, so people are going to get really mad at me. Don't have a roommate who's come, who has come from uh, the country, is coming into the city for the first time. Adam, I'm, I'm running out of time here. Hold on. I appreciate your advice, by the way, and, I, and thanks to your sister. Guys, I'm out of time. We'll talk tomorrow.